my wife and I, we've kind of finished coming through the holidays and we're like, oh, my goodness, I feel so disgusting. I ate all this food and definitely gained about 20 pounds during the, the course of December. Well, maybe it was more like the last six months of the year. But anyway, um, man, I just want to diet and get back on track and all this sort of stuff. And, and I listen to my flesh about those things. Well, we want to make time and wait on the spirit of the Lord. We want to listen to the Lord. And we know that God has already given us purpose and vision and the fact that he's said, go forth, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we already know that. But how does that look in our home? How does that look in our community, our neighborhoods, our city? And um, that's where the challenge is. And what we're going to be praying for tonight is for God's blessing on, on how we do that. What, what is my ministry going to look like for 2016? Am I going to be involved in a church ministry, uh, an extra, an outside ministry, a mission work? Those are the things we want to start praying about now. So um, we're going to be having that tonight after the service. And then I'm going to ask, I'm going to challenge some of you to consider fasting at points during this week. Now, how, that's between you and the Lord when you fast and how you fast. And it can be from food. It can be from TV. Maybe there's something in your life that you're constantly doing, and it's just a distraction from hearing from the Lord. I want to encourage you, spend these first couple weeks in fasting from those things and wait on the Lord instead and hear from the Lord. And so we'll come back together next Sunday night and have another, a second afterglow time of waiting on the Lord and just see what God does in this fellowship and in our lives as we prepare for 2016. So I want to encourage you with that to, to set aside the flesh and listen to the spirit and uh, set, set yourselves apart in this coming year. So that'll be tonight. We'll have pizza. And uh, next week maybe we'll have sandwiches or something like that, little sandwiches for, for everybody. But, um, okay, going forward, and then let's see, I'm trying to remember if there was another announcement. Yes, um, there was another announcement. Thank you. <laughs> David and Kelly, David, raise your hand right there, and Kelly, okay. So David and Kelly are starting up their class this coming Monday night in room 24, which is the children's ministry room. Uh, They are doing Christ in the Old Testament. They're continuing on with that. So uh, David has a very unique perspective, uh, being um, from a Jewish background. He's got a lot of things to teach, and what? Oh, it's at 7 o'clock. Thank you. Yeah, so Monday night, 7 o'clock in the children's ministry room, he'll have that going. And then Saturday, Art has an outreach going to the Hispanic community. We have a neighborhood that they're going to be working in, um, handing out tamales, doing a puppet show, and they need lots of helpers for that. So if you don't speak Spanish, they still need your help in reaching that community and uh, evangelizing and praying for people. So talk to Art. That will be Saturday at 4, right? Three, okay, Saturday at three o'clock and meet here and then you guys are going to go. So, and they need a lot of hands for, for this outreach. They're going to be doing pinatas and having a lot of fun with the community. I don't know what you're doing. What are you doing? Oh, oh, okay. He's like doing all these weird signs. I'm like, what, what is that? I thought he was trying to tell me to announce something. <laughs> so, like I said, Sunday nights is casual. All right. <laughs> Tonight's uh, study is uh, going to be a little different. We have a little bit of scripture to read, and I hope you'll hang in there with me. I guarantee you'll be rewarded. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If the screen is a distraction, open up a Bible. Uh, Open up your Bible. And we're going to get into Daniel chapter 2 first. But let's uh, go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing as as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, that your word 
is given to us so that we might do your will. Lord, not only that we might do your will, but we also would have, have encouragement knowing, God, that you have always been in control and always will be in control. We thank you for this wonderful prophetic book of Revelation that we've been studying. And, God, we just pray that you'd help us to live mindful of the time, live mindful of your coming and your return, and uh, be busy about our master's business. And we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, before we get into, tonight we're getting into the subject of the Antichrist or the beast coming out of the sea. And before we get into that, we need to under, have an understanding of kingdoms in the Bible. And that's why I want to read two, two parts of Daniel because these, these parts are really kind of essential to what we're going to read in Revelation tonight. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 and we'll be starting in verse 36. But before I read that, let me explain what ha- is, where Daniel's at and what's happened. Daniel is a... Uh, a Jew who's been taken off in captivity into Babylon as a young man, a teenager. And Daniel has uh, been, been removed from his culture, his people. And why has he been removed? Well, because his people ignored the Lord their God. They did not follow the Lord their God. They did not keep, keep the laws of the Lord their God. And so God sent prophets, and they would not listen to the prophets. And eventually he sent Babylon who brought them into exile. So Daniel's in exile, and he's learning how to live in a land that is not his, a a people that are not his people, and a culture that is completely strange, even blasphemous to the culture he's come from. A land with idols, a land that is encouraging him to do sinful things and sinful practices. And so as as he's getting into this land, he finds the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world at the time, plagued by a dream. This, this king does not want to just tell people what his dream is and get a false interpretation. So he basically is telling his people, you're going to tell me my dream. And if you tell me wrong, you're going to die. But you're going to tell me my dream, and then you're going to interpret my dream. So Daniel's up to bat here. He's got to tell the dream, the, the king what dream he dreamed. So he prays to the Lord, and the Lord reveals to Daniel what the dream was. The dream was of a statue with a head of gold, and then a, a chest of bronze, and then a, a chest and arms of bronze, and then silver for its midsection, and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. And verse 36 is where we see the interpretation of the dream. So let's start there. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now that's a good start, right? Telling the most powerful man in the world. First of all, God's made you the most powerful man in the world, and let me just kind of pour some honey more on you and, and <laughs> lather you up. This is how great you are. You're the head of gold. Verse 39, but another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. 
and as toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, here's what you've seen. You've seen the kingdoms for the rest of the world. The the rest of human history looking forward is what you've just seen in this dream. Whoa, that's a a perspective. And the perspective is summed up in four kingdoms. You have the kingdom of gold, which is the head. Nebuchadnezzar is that. The next kingdom that follows is not quite as strong or beautiful as Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but certainly is powerful, and that's the Persian, Medo-Persian empire that came after them. And then you have another kingdom coming, which is the Greek empire. Of course, Alexander the Great came conquering. And then there's a fourth kingdom, this kingdom that's mixed with iron and clay. And it, it's, it's, it's iron. It, it tramples over everything. It crushes everything. But then it intermixes with all the nations that it's, it's conquered. And that ro- empire is Rome. And then lastly, there's a fourth empire. That fourth empire is an empire that will never end the empire of, that's set up by Jesus Christ. Of course, Daniel doesn't say that, but those are the, these are the, the, the last kingdoms to come. Now, you and I might go, well, Daniel got it mostly right, but certainly there's been lots of kingdoms since the Roman Empire. Certainly there's, um, what about the U.S. of A? And, and uh, what about our kingdom and these sorts of things? Well, let's look at one more chapter real fast before we get into Revelation. Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to look at a vision, this, this other vision that's very similar to the first. And this is Daniel's vision of some beast. Now, that was for, the first vision was to King Nebuchadnezzar. The second vision is during Belshazzar, the next king of Babylon and the last one. Okay, here we go in verse 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down, then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. 
It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Let's skip over to verse um, 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts and are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the, the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn was made made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of the kingdoms, ten, out of the, this kingdom ten kings shall rise... And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He, he shall, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I apologize for so much back reading before we actually get into our text tonight, but this is important. And when we read our text tonight, you're going to be like, oh, I'm starting to get this. Daniel has these visions, and these visions are crazy. And and remember, these visions are looking forward. And and I, I mean, I wish artists could do this justice. I mean, in his mind, he's saying, this is what I saw. And we're going, what? It sounds like some really bad trip or something that he's on. But, but he has this vision from God. And here's what I want you to know. God gave him a vision for a reason. One, so that he would keep it in his heart and he would know what's to come. I think that's so important about prophecy. God gives us his promises, not that we would forget them, but that we would keep them. That we would understand them. That we would commit them to our minds and our hearts. And that we would continue on and endure recognizing that the time is evil. And, and, and we know that the power of this world, the king of this world is Satan. I had a lunch today with Apollos Jibo, and if you guys remember last year, Apollos came and spoke. He's coming again on the 17th. Uh, 
but he couldn't, he has to go to Michigan and then he's coming back here and he's going to speak on the 17th. And when he comes on the 17th, he's going to talk about how to evangelize in the Muslim world. And uh, so, but as I was talking to him, he was telling me that, you know, most of the people that they're reaching out to are illiterate. And uh, they're going out to all these tribal villages and they're sharing the gospel. And, um, and Apollos is, you know, he's on the, the top of the list for Boko Haram groups to, to kill him. He, he's, he's got a mark on him. But he continues on sharing the gospel in, in Niger or Niger, uh, the way we say it. But uh, he was telling me that, yeah, it's, it's awesome because we've, we've got most of our evangelists who go out, we teach them how to tell the story to people who are illiterate. And in turn, they learn these stories and they repeat them and tell these stories. And they're all Bible stories. They learn the scriptures. And there's 296 Bible stories that they learn. When you think about that, 296 Bible stories, word for word, if you were to open up the Bible and they start telling the story, you're like, Whoa, that's awesome. And, and he said, yeah, it, it's it's wonderful way. that They've committed it to their heart and to their mind. And I thought about 296. How many Bible stories could I recite word for word from memory? Ooh, nope. Not, no, no, I couldn't do it. I rely on having a book available, but I'm just amazed at how he, he was just talking about having it committed in our heart. God's promises should be upon our heart. We should remember those because in time when we are challenged and we start to forget those promises, our whole worldview collapses. So let's go over to Revelation chapter 13 and um, look at what what said about this this thing. Now remember, John was Daniel was looking forward, okay? He he was seeing what was coming to be. John's looking backwards. John's got a vision of the future. And he's telling us what's happening in the future for us, okay? So the, the perspective is a little di- bit different. Here we go, verse 13, chapter 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on, on its horns, and a blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for... 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in the heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth and will, will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone hears, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. So John, John brings us, we, we just left the woman and the dragon, the dragon, Satan, who's cast down to the earth. He's making war on God's people. 
and especially Israel. We see that in anybody who does the commandments of God. And now John sees this beast rising out of the sea. Now, this beast is also known as the Antichrist in Scripture. We, we, uh, we see him as that. And uh, the beast, sorry, I've got to change my notes over real fast. Apologize. Um, the beast is known in a, couple, in a couple different ways throughout Scripture. First of all, in Daniel, we saw him as the little horn. And in, in Thessalonians, we see him, at, or in Daniel, he's also called the coming prince in the 70 weeks or the willful king in Daniel chapter 11. He's the man of lawlessness or the man of destruction or perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then, of course, First uh, John tells us the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world and continues to be in the world. And that's anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Um, and then, of course, in Revelation 6, we saw him as the rider on the white horse, a false Christ, one who brought a false peace. And then, of course, now in chapter 13, he's a beast coming up out of the sea. And as we start to look at this, we go, what's up with all these beasts? Why can't it just be like normal? Why can't John just tell us something different? Why, why does it have to be this beast with horns and this dragon and all this apocalyptic type literature sayings? Um, and here's the thing. I, I want to propose to you that although we may see a, a man, a man who's boastful, a man who is haughty, or, or a man who is proud. How does God see the person? You know, it's amazing how God always sees under the skin of things. God doesn't see Satan as a fallen angel. The image given to John is a dragon waiting to devour. A dragon who's come to make war. An awful, vicious-looking beast who's dangerous and wise. That's what we had from last week. And, and I think that with these whole visions of beasts, is God sees them as they are. Ferocious animals. Animals who are not willing to do the will of God. Who, who conspire against God's people. Who, who look to devour God's people. That's how the, the picture is given to us. But this beast coming up out of the sea, like the dragon, he has horns on his head. Ten horns, seven heads. Remember, we've talked about the heads representing completeness, uh, complete uh, wisdom. Ten diadems. He's got these ten crowns on his head. And he's got blasphemous names on his heads. What does it mean to be blasphemous? Blasphemous is denying God, saying evil things about God, uh, making God like a man. You know when people make jokes about Jesus? That's blasphemy. It's, it's bringing God into the common versus allowing God to be set apart and holy. Blasphemous is me recognizing that I cannot breathe without God allowing me to breathe. That God sustains all things by his will. That, that nothing exists without him and me saying there is no God. That is blasphemy. That is, those are blasphemous things to say there is no God. It is blasphemous to say that my sin does not matter because God is holy. He is the creator of all things. He is the judge of all the earth. So for me to speak about, about God, for me to bring God into the common, for me to use God's names as curse words, these things are called blasphemy. And you might be sitting in the seat going, huh, that, I just did that yesterday. I... I 
I've done that. I'm guilty of that. Well, praise God, Jesus died for you on that cross. You can be forgiven. You repent of that. You change. You turn to the Lord and you ask him for forgiveness and, and you're good. That's what God does for us. It's amazing. But, but notice that this, this beast coming out of the sea, he's an enemy. He's blasphemous. He doesn't have a problem with being blasphemous. And this beast, did you notice what the image described? Now, Daniel didn't describe the, the beast necessarily. He didn't say what it looked like compared to the other beast of the earth in his vision. But now we get a description of the, that fourth beast. Now, if you remember in Daniel's vision, he saw, he saw the lion with wings and the head of gold. Two, both representing Babylon. Daniel saw the, the chest of bronze, chest and arms of bronze, and the bear with the bones in its mouth, Cyrus the Persian, okay, who ushered in the Medo-Persian empire. Then Daniel saw the, the, the legs of silver, or sorry, the midsection of silver, and the the leopard with four heads and wings. And last week we mentioned how that represents Alexander the Great and his kingdom coming through. So we have the the the, the midsection of silver, and of course the leopard with wings, that swift movement, four heads. Alexander divided his kingdom among four generals, and uh, representing the Greek Empire. And then lastly, we have the iron mixed with clay, and then this fourth more dangerous beast that crushed everything, that had iron, and, and everything fell to it. And we would say that's the Roman Empire. And then lastly, we have Christ. Look at this beast. This beast is what? He's got a le- he's like a leopard, but his feet like a bear's. His mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. One of its heads had a mortal wound. So let me just pause there for a minute. This beast is a compilation of all the other beasts. Have you thought about the Roman Empire? That's what the Roman Empire was. The Roman Empire came in, and maybe you guys are not his fans of history, and if you are, if you're not, I might be boring you to death right now, but that's okay, revive. <laughs> you, you, we'll get through it together, yes. But here's, why, here's where it's going to make sense as we talk about the Roman Empire. Roman Empire came in. And one of the things Rome did was they, they were a melting pot. They would, they, would, they would just conquer and adopt. They would bring people into their army from the people they conquered. They would bring them in as servants. If people wouldn't finally surrender, then they would make them slaves. But they would just create, make the world a melting pot a, as they conquered. And, and when Rome conquered, interesting thing is they would often adopt gods. Of course, they had their own gods. And the emperor himself was a god. Is it blasphemous to declare yourself a god? Oh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. Then that's what the emperors would do. Okay, you're going to worship me. I'm now God because I'm an emperor of Rome. The Roman Empire was the earth's greatest empire. And when we look at it, eventually it split into two kingdoms. We had Constantinople and Rome as its capitals. Eventually Rome fell. And then we had Constantinople. Constantinople fell um, to the Ottomans. And then what happened to the Roman Empire? It never faded. The amazing thing about the Roman Empire is somebody's always willing to claim they are reviving it. Here's an example. The Tsar of Russia married Constantine's daughter and thereby claimed himself as the third Roman Empire. That's what he did. Of course, the Ottomans who conquered Constantinople said they were the third. The Caliph said he was the third Roman Empire. 
And then, of course, the, later on you have, of course, you have Charlemagne who said he was the Holy Roman Empire and he, the power went to him. And then the Habsburg of, of Germany and Austria, they were claiming to be the, the third Roman Empire. And Hitler, who followed in, in their line, said he was the Third Reich. And by the way, do you know what the word is for the leader of Germany? And, the, well, of course, the Habsburgs used this name and, and then uh, Hitler used this name. It was Kaiser. What does Kaiser mean? It means Caesar. That's what the word means. And they claim they were the third Roman Empire. And of course, do you know what uh, al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, said last year? He said, I am the caliph taking up where the Ottoman Empire left off. What's next to conquer? Rome. He wasn't talking about Italy. He was talking about the world. He was talking about Western civilization. He's declaring himself the next Roman emperor. That's what's happening. You guys might say, well, he's wacky. Well, here's what I want you to realize. This world is being ran by Satan. That's who's the God of this world right now. The Bible tells us that. And and the Roman Empire has never finished. It's never really left. And that's the amazing thing. What we see here in Revelation is, is it's telling us that during the Great Tribulation, the Roman Empire is going to be revived. How will it look? I, we don't know exactly. We're not sure why this will be revived. And, and, you know, it's easy to want to read the U.S. into this stuff because we, we, we like reading ourselves into things. We like to say, well, maybe the U.S. is here in prophecy or the U.S. is mo- most important. Well, I, I, I don't see the U.S. really read into prophecy at all. Uh, how that works, I do not know. I do not know what's going to happen to the future of the U.S. I don't know what we're going to be. But um, I do find it interesting that this beast not only um, seems to have a mortal wound. Now, some scholars and expositors say that, that the beast will have been killed or something and then revived. I, I don't agree with that necessarily because as far as I know, Satan does not have the power to ri- raise people from the dead. That is not Satan's. That is God's alone. So I think this is talking about a, an empire. The beast represents this empire. He's the head of this empire. And this empire who's thought to be long dead and wounded is now revived. And, and, it, and it's coming. It's taking the world by storm. It, it, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? We can hardly imagine this happening. We, we, we look at this and go, why would somebody just start blatantly, can, could, would the whole world start worshiping Satan? Is, is that really what would happen? Would the whole world just say, we worship the dragon, look at the beast, all oh, the power that the beast has. We, we, we can't see that happening at all. Have you thought about world religions? I mean, really, have, have you thought about what people worship? I, I mean, if someone worships a false god, who are they really worshiping? Yeah. They're worshiping the God of this world, Satan. Can Allah be used interchangeably for God? No way. Allah is a very different God. In fact, Allah is a God whose prophet is Muhammad. And listen to what what it says about Allah. He has no partner. That means that Jesus Christ is not God And for you to even worship Jesus as the Christ, Messiah, Son of God, is committing the most great, the greatest blasphemy, one blasphemy, blasphemy that one could commit, 
so you cannot do it. So now you have a, a religion who says you cannot worship Jesus. We're going to use Jesus, but you can't worship him. You have to worship our God. Well, where is their God located? Why does everybody pray to Mecca? Have you ever thought about that? What's in Mecca? Oh, the cobble. What's inside the cobble? Oh, five stones. They're idols. That's what they're, and, and who's the greatest person in Islam? Muhammad. It's all about idolatry. And you guys might be sitting in the room going, oh, whoa, <laughs> this is getting too serious here. Uh, I'm not trying to start a fight. In fact, I, I think we need to continue reaching out to Islam. But I just want you to realize that when the Bible talks about worshiping images or beasts or idols, we're, we're not talking about somebody building an idol and everybody falling down and worship. We're talking about worshiping false gods. And, and this is very, very possible Listen, when it comes to Islam, I want to ask you a question. How well has our military dealt with Islam? It has not. Our military will not conquer Islam. We have two choices. Either they will give us the Quran or we will give them the gospel. That is it. Christians, we cannot wait for military to deal with that problem. In fact, that's not even the way that God tells us to deal with the unsaved or the unbelievers in this world. God tells us that we're to take the gospel to them. By the way, I told you about uh, when we talked about the prophets that were left for dead for three days, how it's only in Islam that um, it's necessary to it's imperative to bury a body within the first 24 hours. Well, interesting that this beast, this, this antichrist who offers peace, who's coming and he begins to blaspheme. God, he, what does he want to do? He wants to make war on the saints. Do you know who infidels are in Islam? Anybody who's not a Muslim. That's who infidels are. Now, am I saying the antichrist is going to be a Muslim? I don't know. <laughs> Some say he's going to come from Europe. I, I think very likely he very much will be a Muslim. Because I, I believe that, that Islam is one of those religions that is set up. It looks a lot like a holy thing. Uh, but in the end, you have a false prophet denying God and denying Jesus Christ. And, and you guys might be like, oh, you, well, you're scaring us. And uh, I, I, here's what I want you to know, though. He's here to make war on the saints, that is what's happening. Now you might, well, that's radical people. Not uh, Listen, when I talk to my friend Apollos, he knows nothing of the, the difference. I mean, he has friends who are Muslim, but he recognizes that Islam is radical. There is no, there is really no live and let live. It's either convert or die because they are preparing. Listen what a Muslim is preparing for. Islam is preparing for Jesus to come back. Oh, that's great. That sounds good, right? No, not in the sense that you and I say he's coming back. He, they're preparing for Jesus to come in judgment. Who's getting judged? Well, anyone who does not take Islam farther. Anyone who does not make Islam the, the uh, known. Anybody who does not make Allah and his prophet Muhammad known. That's who Jesus is coming to judge. Sound like a false Messiah, a false Christ? Yeah, it does. 
interesting how we talked about the the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount on, on there on, on both things and how the Antichrist, we know, is also going to cause the abomination that causes desolation. He's going to go into the temple and do something that is so atrocious, so obscene to the Jews that they will, they will run from the place. He will cause some sort of worship to happen that they will run out of there. What's really offensive to a Jew? Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> so I think you're, we're, we're kind of putting this together. Now, now, could we say that this is a European leader? Yeah, it could be a European leader. It could be, it could be from anywhere in the world. But here's what we do know. He's going to have authority. He's going to conquer. Um, and again, this backs up what I was saying about the church not being here. I don't believe the church of Jesus Christ will be here because, first of all, the, the church is referred to in the Holy Spirit as the restrainer who's restraining this world leader from coming because you and I have the word of God. We're watching for these things. We recognize lies and falsehoods. So we're, we're seeing these things. Well, we should be. Are you in the word of God? Have you been reading it lately? I, I would challenge you to, to be in the word so that you're watching for these things because eventually when the church is removed, we see that the seven-year tribulation is going to kick off. Notice that he's given 42 months. In Daniel's vision, the little horn is given a time, time, and half a time, three and a half years. We have the same time period. And he's given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Here it is, the new world order. (laughs) Interesting. That's what Islam sees about what they're trying to become. The final one world order. Now, I know people want to mark all religions up as the same. Like, they're just religions. We say that we have a kingdom that's coming. And Jesus Christ will establish it. And until that time, we have a time of grace. Where God is saying, hey... Go evangelize. Bring people in. Share the gospel that they may be saved. But a time is coming when, um, when, when he'll establish his kingdom and, and the people of the earth will submit to his rule. So um, in Islam, you have a group that will not settle until everything is conquered. Now, do I believe that jihad is coming to the U.S.? No, not necessarily. I, I think there's probably a, 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 another way that they can turn people away. I, I, I believe the beast is, <laughs> the Antichrist has been setting up the U.S., or the spirit of Antichrist has been setting up the U.S. for a long time. Like, for instance, have you thought about what we call prostitution nowadays? Anybody thought about what we call it? Oh, that's right, sex workers. Have, have you thought about what we call, um, <laughs> you know, the Bible, the Bible says things about, same-sex marriage, it defines it. Now, this may be offensive, I'm sorry, but I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that it is not okay, it is not okay, it is sinful, that it is an abomination for a man to lie with a man. Yet, have you noticed what we called it? Legal and beautiful. I think the Antichrist has been doing quite a good work, that spirit of Antichrist, Satan, in our land for a long time. How do we know that uh, we're in trouble? Well, when the foundation is eroded, the house falls. 
Christians, this message is not a happy, feel-good message, but it is a message for you to think about, what am I going to do? How am I going to live in such a way to rebuild that foundation? What can I do? How can I reach the lost in this nation? That's what we're supposed to be doing. All right. um, Notice this, the question asked, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That's what everybody's going to be saying. Oh, man, this beast is powerful. Who is like him? Who can fight against him? He's the most powerful man we've ever seen. He's taken over the world. Everybody's rooting for him to bring in some sort of peace, except for the saints, of course. He's making war on them. But who is like, who can fight against him? (laughs) Have you seen Revelation chapter 20? (laughs) Well, actually, just before that, 19 verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Interesting that the beast is full of lies and blasphemies, but Jesus is faithful and true. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. What a difference there is when the beast is introduced versus Jesus. Who can fight against this man? Oh, Jesus can um, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. Um, my wife and I, we usually try to watch the whole trilogy every year around this time. Um, she's off work. And this year we had the Hobbit series plus the Lord of the Rings. So we've only made it through, well, we've almost finished Fellowship of the Ring. Well, of course, we're total nerds, so we watch the extended editions. Um, and so, uh, but one of the things about the Lord of the Rings is you see, you see, you know, this battle between good and evil and you see the orcs, and they're just so ugly, looking monstrous and whatnot. And then you see the elves. And the elves are so polished, tightly set in formation, perfect in their movement. You're like, whoa, those elves are amazing. <laughs> look at how cool they look. And I kind of imagine when Jesus comes back with the armies of heaven in fine linen. Oh, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be incredible looking. And, and the best part about it is, When Jesus goes to war against the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet, or the the Antichrist and the false prophet, it's just with his mouth. You know, we might be excited. Yeah, I want to swing a sword here. This is going to be awesome. But nope, Jesus already conquered it with the victory. Who can fight against him? Jesus can. Who can best his blasphemous words? Well, the truth. You can blaspheme all you want. You can say there is no God all you want. You can say God is weak all you want. But in the end, it's God who is there. It's God who is standing. It's God who is triumphant. So what will all your words mean in the end? I kind of liken it to Pluto. Have, Have you ever thought about Pluto, the sad little dwarf planet now? Where for years people were arguing, is it a planet or is it not a planet? Uh, you know, Pluto, Pluto's a planet. No, wait a minute. Because when I was in school, I learned he was a, it was a planet. But then we learned, oh, no, it's not a planet. It's actually just a really big star. No, now it's a dwarf planet. 
Do you ever think that Pluto actually cares what we think about it? <laughs> Pluto is going around the sun just like God said it to do. And it makes its orbit and it continues on as long as God wills it to be. And how whatever we say about Pluto, it's merely us just discovering it and labeling it. But it doesn't matter to Pluto. You know, we can say all sorts of things about God. We can say haughty, blasphemous things. We can say there is no God. We can say that God is slow in coming. God's not going to come. God has forgotten us. Look at all these things. We can, we can say God doesn't love me. We can say God is weak. God doesn't avenge me. We can say all these things, but in the end, God is God. The question is, is he your God? Will he come fighting for you or will he come uh, fighting against you? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Notice what it says, though, at the end here. Um, It says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. All who dwell uh, on the earth will worship it, except for those whose names are found written in the book of life. All who dwell on the earth. That means there is not a single person on this earth except for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ that will not be deceived by this blasphemous antichrist, this beast, this false Christ. Except for those who were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This verse bothers some. I don't know why. Some say, well, this verse is very Calvinistic. It, it, it basically says that God has decided already who's going to be saved and who's not, not be saved. Listen, this verse is not Calvinistic. Calvin didn't even exist at this time when this verse is written. This verse is not excluding people from salvation. The fact is, is to me, I'm glad that God already knows who will be saved and who will not. I'm actually really glad about that. That God knew me before I was even born. That God knew I would put my faith in him. And my name is written, not because of me putting my faith in him, but because God knew me, my name is written in that book of life through Jesus Christ. So does that make his offer of forgiveness, his offer that anyone who comes to him, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, does that make his offer disingenuous? That, that I could actually be offering you salvation, but your name's not written, so sorry? No, not at all. Just because God has a book of life and my name is written in it and maybe your name and your name and your name and all of our names are written in it does not mean that his offer is false. It does not nullify the other. It means that God knows my name. God knows me as a servant. I'm not lost among the multitude. God knows me specifically. I I take great comfort in that. My name is written in the book of life and I will never worship the beast because my name is found in his book of life. I will never receive. Will I have struggles in life? Yeah. Will I doubt? Yeah. Will, will I sin? Yeah. But notice my name is not erased from that book of life. <laughs> I'm going to be as human as human gets. But God is God. And he is above my humanness, my messiness, my screwed upness, my, my ignorance, my shortcomings, me being total idiot Dave Johnson. He is way above that. If anyone is taken captive, to captivity he goes. 
If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is not the exact hopeful message. Of course, this is happening during the tribulation time, but the message is not very hopeful. I mean, really what it's saying is, hey, if you're going to be taken captive, you're going to jail. If you're going to be slain with a sword, you're going to get slain. But but wait a minute. I I thought I was following you. I thought everything was going to be good. Yeah, (laughs) hooray. No, (laughs) it's not what it says. It's a call for endurance. I love when the Bible tells me that I'm going to suffer, but God knows it. That is so much better than me saying, why am I suffering? And it's so much better knowing that God knew my suffering before my suffering ever came to be. And God knows that he will eventually heal me of my suffering, whether it be in the next life when I go to meet him and before him, or whether it's right now that I'll be healed. God knows. So when I suffer, I suffer for him and not just for suffering's sake. These martyrs who are martyred, these ones who are taken captive, these ones who are, are, are slain with the sword, they don't suffer for not. Rather, they suffer for their Lord Jesus Christ. Would we expect any different? If the master we follow was rejected, why would we not be rejected? If the master we followed was put on a cross and crucified, why would we not be? Why do we expect something different? No, we should expect the very same, to be hated and rejected. <laughs> In fact, the exact opposite, is when, when things go really well, you're like, whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. You know, We are not above our master. So we should not say, okay, well, because I'm a Christian, everything should be going well. I should have the fancy car. I should have the fancy house. I should be able to do this. I should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Sorry, that's not anywhere taught in the Bible. (laughs) There's not a single place you can find that says, because you're a Christian, because you follow your master who was a servant of all, because you followed the guy who had no head, uh, no place to lay his head, who uh, the the guy who made his life a servitude for others. Oh, and the one who also was tortured, beaten, and crucified. You should therefore be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I just realized I'm killing the congregation tonight. <laughs> this is not going to boost attendance. No, we're called to endure. And here's what I know about the word endurance. The word endurance means it's going to be hard. The word endurance means there's going to be trials. The word endurance means there's going to be heartaches. He had it. Take comfort in this. We do not have a high priest who has not been tempted in every way, yet is without sin. We, we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way and is without sin and knows exactly what we are going through. We have a high priest who can identify with us in every way. I take great comfort in that, knowing that my Lord has gone before and I can follow through his grace and strength. Hmm. 
interesting twist Paul puts on the, the idea of endurance in Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul is talking about his, his pedigree, his resume, so to speak, and why he is the Jew of all Jews. And he, and he talks about how he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he talks about why, you know, if anybody has anything to boast, it is him. But this is what he said. He said, that I may know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said that all these things that I've talked about about myself, being uh, born of the tribe of Benjamin, being the Jew of Jews, being zealous for, for, for his word, and the law were of nothing. They were of no gain to me that I may know Jesus Christ and sharing in his sufferings. <laughs> it's kind of a weird call, right? Come follow Jesus and suffer. Yay. You know? <laughs> That's not what the call is. The call is to come know Jesus Christ and be reconciled to your creator and have an eternity waiting for you. That's what the call is. Have, have a world set before you with a new body and, and uh, an end to evil and an end to sin and that he will wipe away every tear. That's what the call is. But for now, we endure, dear Christians. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, kingdoms come and kingdoms go on this earth. And God, we thank you that We can know that there's mainly four kingdoms we need to be concerned with. And the fifth, the fifth is the one we're waiting for. We wait for you to establish your kingdom, Lord. We say, come, Lord Jesus. And Father, I'm pretty sure I offended some tonight. And Lord, I pray that the offense wouldn't be Dave Johnson, but it would be you. And um, Lord, we just thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you died for us on that cross so that we can be saved. And... uh, We give this time to you now as we worship, as we seek you, as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.